Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children 18 plus, you are tuned in to the Loan Officer Podcast with me, Dustin Owen, and I have in the office studio another special guest, Kyle Scholl. Kyle, welcome to the program. How's it going? It's going fantastic. Kyle has his own YouTube channel. And the name of that YouTube channel is Financial Awareness with K Scholl. And that is K S C H O L L. That's impressive. You got that. Good job. Yes, look at that. <laughs> um, and you guys who tune in often, you've heard me say over and over again that I'm not a financial advisor, but I play one on TV. Well, Kyle, K Scholl here, he is one step above even that because he's not a financial advisor, but he once was one. He spent seven years of his professional career as a financial advisor. You spent another seven years as a professional real estate agent. Is that correct? Yeah. So uh, just quick background, if yes. that's okay. Yeah, go so, for it. So uh, very intentional with my degree. You know, you often hear people say, oh, I don't know what I want to major in in college. Or, oh, I went to college and I got this degree. Well... I wanted to actually apply my degree. So I spent a lot of time talking with my guidance counselors and my undergraduate studies. So I ultimately decided on finance and real estate as my double major. Finance was my main major. And then I was like, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm going to buy a home one day. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. Might as well take some real estate classes as my electives. So that became a passion of mine. I really enjoyed learning more about real estate. And then that turned into me meeting with my guidance counselor. And she said, you know, you're only like six credits away from a double major. So I said, well, shoot, that's fantastic. I'd love to do that. So I, I kind of stacked myself my senior year a little heavy, but ultimately ended up double majoring in finance and real estate. And I was going to work with Merrill Lynch. I was going to work with CB Richard Ellis. I had internships with both, but fell in love with residential real estate. So no way. yeah. So right after college, uh, ended up spending seven years working for a home builder locally here in Central Florida, and that was great. Really enjoyed it, and then just made some really good financial decisions in my 20s, um, which we can you know discuss a few of those today uh, based on what we may or may not chit-chat about. But uh, yeah, just kind of got myself in a good spot and then decided to leave working weekends, which a lot of realtors do, a lot of people in real estate do, to become a financial advisor, and I did that for about eight years. Wow. Um, and then now you would consider yourself a financial coach, financial coach. Perfect. And the point of the pod, I, I call it a podcast. It's not a podcast. This is a podcast. Yes. You have a YouTube channel. I do. Um, and the point and the purpose of the YouTube channel, you're uh, sharing with me off camera, Yep. but, um, I loved the answer. So I'm going to ask you to repeat it to me sure. so they can be shared with the audience Yep. is because as you explained it, you wanted to widen your net for the people that you could help. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Yeah. I, I, as I've gotten to know your show and your podcast a little bit, I think we have a lot in common. As a financial advisor, you're limited with who you can help. Uh, I really appreciate the kneecap to kneecap conversations, the eyeball to eyeball with your clients. And that's very personal and wonderful. But having a YouTube channel and having the ability to scale that and to have a message that you know, resonates with some people and it's just good, healthy, I'll call it financial health, right? Okay. Good, good, healthy financial knowledge, good, healthy stuff there. You can touch more people. You can help more people. So I think, you know, if you're shooting for around maybe 700 to 800 in-person meetings as an advisor, you know, if you've got a channel that has a, a good message, right, that resonates with people, you could help more people. So that's the kind of the genesis of where the channel began is wanting to just share really good knowledge with more people. Yeah, no, it's very altruistic of you because 
I understand from my friends who are financial advisors, there's certain criteria that people have to have just to sit down and become a client of a financial advisor. I actually have a funny story. I was in Park City, Utah uh, on a ski vacation with my family, and I'm riding up the ski lift, and uh, the lady next to me says, oh, what do you do for a living? And it's, for whatever reason, I always have a different answer, right? I mean, it's, I'm in mortgage banking. I help people achieve the dream of homeownership. Um, I'm a mortgage monkey, like literally a thousand different things. That day I said, um, I am in residential finance. Okay, residential finance, which is what I am in. She heard, I'm a financial advisor. And this lady started not, not going off on me, but going off on the fact that there's no one out there willing to get her in a position where a financial advisor would even take her on. So then when you were sharing with me the, the um, mission behind your YouTube channel and how you want to expand your reach, I thought of that lady who, by the way, was a traveling nurse um, who is also from Florida, rare and random that we were sharing a ski lift, but you know she needs you. Like she needs to watch your YouTube channel because she was frustrated that no financial advisor would sit down with her because she probably didn't have some of the most basic financial fitness concepts in play or down pat. Mm. Um, so that's that's um, awesome that you are taking your career to yet the next level because you obviously went into real estate, such as your major dictated, and you dominated. Then you went into personal finance and did a really good job. So here you are at 37 years old, already taking your career to a third level. Um, and I'm assuming you're going to dominate this level as well. Thank you. Um, yeah, no, I, um, I, when you and I were introduced, first thing I did is I went to the YouTube channel and I just started clicking and clicking and watching. And, um, well, I got stuck there for like 45 minutes. Um, ended up having to call home. Hey, honey, I'm going to be late. Oh yeah. Rough day at work. Oh, no, nope, I got stuck on K Scholl's YouTube channel. Um, so let me ask you this, cause this is like a common theme of this podcast yes. is everything you should have learned in high school but didn't, yep. usually because it wasn't taught. Yep. Um, when you look back at yourself as either a 17, 18-year-old graduating from, out of curiosity, what high school? Uh, so Tampa. I went to Plant High School Okay, Plant, Plant High School in Tampa, Florida, um, heading off to Tallahassee to go to Florida State. Yep. What are some things, if you could go back in time and talk to that aged Kyle, that you would want him to know? especially as it pertains to things like personal finance? That's a great question. I, and I will answer that, but I, I want to, you mentioned this a second ago and we haven't talked about it yet, but the, the people that put up, put you and I in touch. Yes. Mike. Mike Sue with Northwestern Mutual. And, yes. And, and Patrick. Patrick Shishayan with, of all companies, Waterstone Mortgage. Yeah. And I've been a double client of Waterstone. I love your company, have had great experiences with Patrick if he's a reflection of the rest of the team here, you guys are doing some good stuff. Well, for sure. I, I appreciate that. And Patrick is, he is um, our flagship in so many uh, instances because he is someone that we actually brought in from another industry oh. and taught him the mortgage profession. I didn't know that. Um, and he's also begrudgingly to others, someone that we sometimes hold up as like the litmus. And it's like, well, if Patrick can do this, you should be able to do it too. And there's some other loan originators that are like, oh my God, can you can you quit comparing us to, to Patrick? Uh, um, but Mike Sue, I I met Mike Sue 
15, 16 years ago. Oh, I mean, wow. we were both fresh faced right out of college, starting yeah. our careers. And I look back now and it's like, well, I have my, my um, kids' college savings with Mike and I have my life insurance with Mike and I have uh, an IRA with Mike. And uh, Mike has, has been a friend, but he's also been an advisor of, of mine. And it was, it was funny because I got from Mike Hey, I'm listening to your podcast. I was actually trying to get Mike on the podcast and without getting into too, too much, there's a lot of red tape when you work for huge national corporations. Yeah. Um, so the long story short is it probably wasn't going to work out. And if it was going to work out, it was going to be very linear. Um, he's like, but I have a guy that you need to have on the show. And then about a week later, I get a text from Patrick. Hey, I just listened to uh, your most recent episode. You know who would be awesome? I'm like, uh, why are two people telling me that this guy, Kyle, is someone needs to come into the studio and we need to, to rap? Um, so it is a pleasure to have yeah. you. And, and I'm, I'm so fortunate for the connection. And what a small world, right? Yeah. What a small world. That Mike's you, a good dude. He's a straight shooter. Yeah, He's uh, a good dude. Fa fantastic guy. Yeah. So, um, right, but so, anyhow, but 17 or even heck, the 22-year-old version yeah, of you. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, uh, Mike, like most sons with their fathers, there's a little bit of uh, relationship blessings or relationship judgment or whatnot. And my dad has made some interesting decisions as an adult, but I feel like he did a really good job with his kids. I'm one of four boys. My dad had four kids. Okay. Kept trying for a daughter <laughs> and ended up with four boys. So this means your mom had the luxury of raising four boys. She did. Wow, yeah. And, what a saint. And uh, she's a great, great woman. You know, what I will say is he did not raise us to be... Um, Gosh, I don't know how to say this politely. He raised us to be business-minded a okay. little bit, right? So, you know, when I was in middle school, you, you asked about the 17, 18-year-old version of me. I had a checking account in the seventh grade. You know, I got my first job pretty early, 12, 13. It, was that because you wanted to or because it was being encouraged in your household to go get a job? A little bit of both. Okay. A little bit of both. Because I'm the second oldest, I saw my older brother have money. Okay. And that was inspiring to know that you can work for something. When we were like 10, we mowed yards, right? And just got paid cash, nothing formal. But we used the money from the lawn mowing gig to buy a little Honda 50cc little, little motorbike guy. And okay. that thing was a blast. So I would say that was my first experience of work hard, do something fun with the money. And um, yeah. I'm going to stop you there just because it's like a, a ding, ding, ding type moment yeah. for anyone listening who is a parent yeah. or anyone who listening who is anticipating starting a family. Um, you would recommend at an early age having these types of conversations with your children, Absolutely. encouraging them to understand finance, to open a checking account, to use a debit card um, so that it's not foreign when they are 18 or when they are 22. Hundred percent, and okay. every family dynamic is different, right? So there's some kids that demonstrate a willingness or a desire earlier than some. So if you're scratching your head listening to this right now, wondering, well, gosh, I don't know if it's the right time for my kid or not, you'll know. There will be little signs. You just have to know to listen or to look for them. Now you can encourage it a little bit by saying, "Hey, come over here. I want you to come look at now." Into it's whatever it's 2020. Yes. Now it's hey, come look at the computer screen. Yeah. I'm going to pay some bills. Yeah. <laughs> a long time ago, it was hey, I'm going to whip out the checkbook or I'm going to whip out you know X Y Z piece of paper and I want to show you how we manage the money. I would say whenever, whenever your child is expressing an interest or hey, dad, hey, mom, what are you doing? Don't just shoo them away. 
that's an opportunity and say, gosh, let me show you what I'm doing. Even if it's something as simple as, you know, this is how much I budgeted for the utility bill, you know, $190 or whatever it might be, and it's, uh, you know, uh, two, 201. It's simple math. A third grader or second grader knows addition and subtraction. Just simple math is perfectly fine. And whenever they start to express some interest, that's your foot in the door. And then from there, it just grows, right? So for you, it's not even so much what you wish you were taught, but it's what you're grateful that you're exposed to at an early age. Because as a father of two yourself and, and as, as a career professional, you can look back at your childhood and your upbringing and, and be fortunate or, or um, uh, at least acknowledge that you may have had a step up on your peers, on mm -hmm. your buddies that, that you played sports with or went to school with? Well, everyone's got strengths, right? Yes. And I, I would say in high school, a, a weakness that I would say I had looking back was I wish I did have a, a, a more social group of friends. In high school, I worked like three jobs. So I didn't really join like our, our varsity soccer team until a junior. I was in, you know, I don't know, I just, I was working. Yeah. I was busy working. Uh, but to, to get back to the original question, yeah. which was 17, 18, your, your old self, what would you wish you would have done? Uh, I, I was encouraged to get a credit card at age 18. It was a thousand dollar limit. So nothing too, well, gosh, I don't know how many years ago that yeah. was, right? 20, 19, 20 years ago. Yeah. <clears throat> but it was a thousand dollar limit. That was my credit card for a very long time. And I was very cautious and I didn't even get that until I, I had a very regular paying job. My dad co-signed my first car purchase with me. So that was helpful to help me establish credit, getting the credit card that I got as well, small thousand dollar limit. But I got my credit established early. So I would say if if you are if you're if you didn't get your credit started early, then when you're 22, 23, 25, or maybe older, trying to buy your first home, you may or may not get the most ideal rate if you don't have a good enough credit score or good enough credit history. So I would say for one thing to do in terms of either, you know, common mistakes or just what to do at 17, 18 is just start to manage your money well so that you can establish your credit and treat your credit appropriately. Money is like a hammer and a nail. It's a tool and you can use it to your advantage but the difficult part of money being a tool is it involves emotion. You get excited, you want to buy stuff, you want to do stuff with the money. As long as you can keep your emotions in check, in control, money can really be a great tool for you, both from a credit perspective and from a how can it grow perspective. But in addition to credit, though, I want to uh, go to number two, which okay. is I will I'm giving my dad some praise here. But what I, I wish he would have encouraged more is home ownership uh, at a younger age. I got my first home, I think, when I was 24. That's young. Yeah, I wish I would have gone even younger than that, though, because the day I moved in, I had two roommates move in. And what my dad really preached a lot was live alone for a year before you, you know, get engaged or start a family, like be on your own, like really get to know yourself a little yeah. bit. I just wish he would have encouraged more house hacking. And I think that might tie into mortgage, water zone, you know, our, our show today, because house hacking for a young 22, 23, 24 year old could be a great way to build wealth. And when you say house hacking, I think of um, a childhood friend of mine, Brian, who I believe he was 19 working at Publix full time while going to uh, college part time, bought a three bedroom, two bath house and rented out the two bedrooms to his two buddies. His two buddies 
literally covered his mortgage with what he charged them in rent. All three of them split utilities. So the extra money that Brian would have been spending on rent, he applied towards his mortgage. And by age 20, I want to say seven, he had that house paid off. Wow. Had the house paid off, had his buddies kicked out, and his fiance, now bride, moving in at 27, 28. That to me, when you say hack or house hack, is that kind of what you're you're alluding to or pointing towards, or is that even something further what's from it, that? What's this guy's name? Brian. Brian is a smart, smart yeah. man. That's exactly what I mean. I believe you can purchase up to a quadplex. And it and you still get uh, primary residential home interest. You rate. do is, is that yep. correct? Yep, you hundred percent so, do. So th- that would be the extreme, right? I was thinking just a home or a townhome in my example, but you could buy a quadplex. You, you could, and and you could live in in a quad. It's four units, so one unit, and they're usually a quadruplex. It's usually a two bedroom, one bath. So you theoretically you would have a two bedroom, one bath to yourself. Then you'd have the other three units all rented out. The rent should cover the bulk of the entire mortgage payment. Therefore, you get to live for free. Now, you are a landlord of three people, but there are three people who live in your building, by the way. You own the building. Mm-hmm. The only knock on that that I would ever see as like, uh, maybe you wouldn't want to do that, uh, from, from my experience, would just be if someone isn't rooted. right? If someone's in a profession where they're like, I don't know if I'm going to stay in Atlanta for the next three or five years, or I don't really know if I like Austin, Texas, but I went to college here and I got my first job here, but maybe I'm originally from Tennessee and I have a feeling I may want to get back. But if someone can answer the question, yes, for the next three to five years, I'm pretty confident this is where I'm going to be. And then can you handle the maintenance? Like a quadruplex is, is going to be a lot more to fix that roof when it leaks so I think someone just has to be responsible enough, but those that do it, oh, they get leap or yeah, light years, leap years. I guess not leap years, but light years ahead mm-hmm. of their peers who maybe don't. Um, I love how you balanced that topic out because for people that don't think that deeply into it, you you hit the hit the nail on the head. That was great because you're right. With every financial decision, there's pros and cons. And you did a great job there of outlining some of the cons. But like we said, that would be on the extreme side, right? A, a townhome, a three-bedroom townhome, a two-bedroom townhome, rent out the other, yes. the other before you have a ring on your finger, before yes. you get tied down. So sarcastically, sarcastically speaking, I've been house hacking for over 12 years, 13 years. Because <laughs> right after, because I, I, I kicked out my two roommates when my wife moved in. Okay. And even though we were not legally married yet at the time, she helped out with the bills. So technically, I've never really had to cover a mortgage payment alone. Oh, you've always had dual income one one way or the other, whether it's roommates or whether it's with a spouse or a fiance. But to go back to the question, I wish I would have done that longer before getting married. I wish I would have had a house or two before getting married. Like, Like you're saying your sophomore year in Tallahassee, you wish you would have purchased a property lived in that for the your your junior senior year rented it out and then when you moved either back to Tampa or to Orlando, to Orlando purchased a home there which you could have rinsed and repeated what you did in Tallahassee at age 20 now in Orlando or Tampa at age 23 with enough work ethic and with enough income earned 
during college, yes, that's certainly possible. In my mind, I was just thinking post-college, okay. right? You work hard, you make money, you live below your means, you know, get your get yourself started with a good, small, easy to manage real estate property that's, like you said, if you're rooted, if you're not gonna jump from city to city and you're not gonna, you know, uh, be too far away from the property, because you brought up a good point earlier, then I think it's a great way to start your wealth building. Because then you really learn what it's like to be an investor. You learn what it's like to manage money. You learn what it's like to have a profit and loss statement. You learn what it's like to budget for property expenses, like you said, maintenance. So it's just a really good learning curve. Now, are there downsides? Absolutely, for sure. But I would say that would be one thing that I wish I I, I would have done more of. Uh, what I did do really well of was pay off debt. Yeah. Worked hard. Uh, right out of college and just saved cash and paid off debt. That was really important to me. That that That's one thing I did a good job of. So how about this? Um, more of leaning on your previous seven years when you were a financial advisor. Sure, yeah. Um, and and thinking forward with your YouTube channel and, and the people that you want to reach and touch and change, mm-hmm. what are three to four common, I'm going to call them mistakes, but common blunders that you see the average person making when it comes to their financial well-being, or a term I like to use is financial fitness. Sure. And more importantly, how should they overcome those mm-hmm. those blunders or those mistakes, or maybe change their behavior? Change is an interesting word <clears throat> because people won't usually change until they feel motivated to change. So I would say sometimes people have to hit rock bottom financially. Sometimes people have to make a very big financial mistake in order for them to really realize, oh, gosh, I did that wrong. And by the way, that's not a bad thing. Like, I think that's too many times people are so afraid to make the mistake, but you should almost cheer on mistakes if you are confident you're going to learn from them. If you're right, if you're confident that, hey, I'll do it once, but I won't do it twice, then I think more people should maybe put their heads down and run really fast and run really hard, um, knowing that they can get back up and become better because of it. I completely agree. You took the words right out of my mouth. Learn from your mistakes. And uh, again, talking about my dad, parents, that's one of the things he really encouraged all of us to do. Learn from your older brother's mistakes. Learn from your friend's mistakes. Making mistakes is not bad. You know, people sometimes say, oh, gosh, I made a mistake. It's human. Yeah, it's being normal. Yes. What's not healthy is not learning from those mistakes, right? So to answer your question from a second ago, the, the most, I'd say the biggest mistake that people make when it comes to their personal finances is not caring. Just not caring. I spoke with a gentleman the other day. He's 41, 42 years old. Uh, young. Yeah, you know, yeah, young. young. Yeah, he's young. Uh, somewhere around $175,000 in retirement between a couple accounts. I would say he's ahead of most people. It, de- it depends on what your goals are. Well, right. I didn't say he was where he needs to be. Sure, yeah, I yeah. just said he's ahead of most people. Yeah. So it's funny you say that, though, because ahead of most people still didn't care didn't really express a huge interest in what his positions were, what his cost basis was, what his expenses were, how much fees he was paying. Just, just didn't care. $175,000. It's his largest asset. He doesn't own real estate. He's got a good healthy amount of cash, wants to buy property at some point, but 
just didn't care. So I would say whether you're 22 or 42, it doesn't matter how old you are. You got to care. Yeah. You got to care. You got to want to do your budget, which it's kind of like going to the dentist. I don't like flossing my teeth. <laughs> I really don't. But I do because I know it's good for me. So do I the day before I go to the dentist. <laughs> That counts, right? That absolutely counts. Yeah, I'm actually going on uh, Wednesday. So uh, the shout out to Carrie and Dr. Curley. Just so you know, when you're listening to this on Monday and I'm coming in on Wednesday, I'm going to floss on Tuesday, I promise. I love that. All right. I love that. But yeah, I would say not caring. And and then that can go down a whole other rabbit hole there, which is not knowing your budget, right? You talk about my eight years experience as an advisor. Here's another story really nice person married when i met her she had a very young newborn doctor locally here in town making around 350 a year right okay dollars. Uh, great own, income. own practice or works for, for someone else uh without mentioning the yeah. uh, the yeah, just... employer she worked for a large local hospital okay yep and really good person honestly like it, I sitting at her kitchen table it's just a sweetheart of a person to talk to but you know, to people listening to this right now, you hear, gosh, $350,000, that is a, I wish I had that income, yeah. right? Again, it goes back to caring. You know, simple, basic financial questions. She had no idea how much money she made net after taxes per paycheck. She had no idea what her expenses were on any average month. Doesn't matter if it's December or if it's February. Just no clue, right? Just not caring. So it, it people sometimes often... Uh, feel like the more money you make, the better your life will be. That's not always the case. And furthermore, I have seen the more money you make, whether it be me and my wife and our family specifically, or anyone that I met that were my clients, the more money you tend to spend. Yes. That just sometimes happens, whether it be higher, better quality of life or other things. So not understanding your ins and outs, how much money comes in, how much money goes out, and what can I do with the difference? And literally, financial planning could be extremely complex with trusts and LLCs and S-Corps and, uh, and write-offs and taxes. It, it can be very complex, but it also can be very simple. Yeah, simple like third grade math simple. Mm -hmm. X comes in, Y goes out. Mm -hmm. The delta is what you save. Yep. So to go back, I really loved your a story earlier about the nurse on the ski lift, right? Yeah. Let's let, let's yeah. talk okay. about let's talk about her because the reason a lot of times in my previous life when I would be introduced to somebody, they would sometimes feel like, oh, I'm not ready for a financial advisor. I, I'm not there. There is a large large chunk of people in our country that need financial literacy, that need financial advice, but don't get called on by an advisor because there's there's no reason, there's no monetary reason. Well, correct. The advisor, yeah, doesn't see a way for them to, to bring assets into management. Mm -hmm. And advisors typically get paid one way or the other mm -hmm. on products or on assets under management. Yep. And to your point, this stuff isn't taught like it's 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 not taught in high school in college it's not taught at the most basic level where my soapbox and I won't get on it for long is it should be it should be taught the the reason why we do this podcast twice a week every week is so that we can talk about the most simplest most simplistic topics that I feel like should be talked about openly why isn't it 
Um, I think it's one of those things where uh, people don't know what they don't know and they're embarrassed that they don't know because they feel like they should know. So they just ignore it. it. It would be like me having a big red spot on my nose. And because I'm afraid it's cancer, I'm not going to go to the doctor. That doesn't mean it's not cancer. No, that cancer is growing. Me going to the doctor doesn't change anything except for it makes me one step closer to being cancer-free and healthy. But I think people view their finances that way. Why don't certain people want to get on the scale? It doesn't change the fact that they're 300 pounds. It's just another way for them to avoid acknowledging their 300 pounds. And I, I really think it's, it's, a, it's a systemic issue that probably goes back decades and decades, if not centuries, because you just don't talk about that, like politics or religion or her. You know, for the, as many people that are on social media wanting to, to do political commentary and, and wanting to talk about, you know, their opinions on social matters, I wish they all would stop and start talking about their fiscal lives. Mm. I think that would actually be more beneficial for our society as a whole than certain posts. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that would be my take on it. That's my guess. That, that is my guess based on looking around my surroundings and the people that I know mm -hmm. um, and summarizing it into just what I said. They're just... Yeah. I'm going to take a stab at it too. Okay, go for it. So literally just today, prior to coming in, I published my most recent video. And before I make a video, I'm coming from 15 years of personal financial advice, whether it be real estate or an actual formal financial advisor type of career yes. path. You know, 15 years, people have been inviting me into their home to talk about real estate or to talk about whether it's investments, college planning, retirement, insurance, whatever. You know, you learn a lot, but I still research, right? So the video I just published was based on a Bloomberg personal finance article that just came out a few days ago about how 401ks are not as tax generous as they used to be in the 80s. In the 80s, 1980, the equivalent of the 12% tax rate right now, it was 43%. So imagine being in the 80s, making the average income in America and being able to take a small portion of that, 5% of your salary, 10% of your salary, and avoid paying 43%. That's a big Wait, are you saying the current 12% tax bracket in the 80s? Yeah. So Because 12% is one of the lowest brackets. Yeah. Um, that's, that's low to moderate income. Yeah. So census.gov, as of the end of 2018, the average household income for family in America was $61,900. Okay. So that's where that stat's coming from. You're not in the... 22% tax bracket now, I don't think, until you make over $80,000 married filing jointly, I believe. I might be a little bit off on that. So currently, 62000 yeah, you're in the 12% tax bracket. So the point that I'm trying to drill home is not about the taxes. That's not the point I want to okay. make. The point I want to make, sorry about that. The, yeah, point, yeah. The, the point I want to make is I, I researched this video. That's the point I want to make. Okay. And I found out, and I didn't know this is I, I was born in the 80s, right? But the there was some legislation that was passed in 78 and it didn't kick in until 1980 so really up until 1980 people were getting pensions people didn't really have to think about their retirement now from 1980 and beyond people have had to take a personal responsibility for their retirement and that's the shift so i think 
for the last 40 years, ah. people have had to learn more and more and more about how so, to save for retirement. So it wasn't taught 50s or 60s or 70s. Because it, because it really wasn't needed to. It, it wasn't needed to. Right. And, and more importantly, now that you say that, you know what also wasn't readily available in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s? Credit. Plastic. Um, in fact, my parents used to call it plastic. Oh, honey, did you bring the plastic? The pla- what does that mean? Oh, the, the American Express, the, the, the MasterCard. That's so funny. Right? You didn't have access to, for the most part, quote, unquote, free money. Yeah. And you know what else wasn't re- – I love the, the term readily available. You know what, what, what else wasn't readily available? Information. Yeah. The internet. Yeah. Right? Technology, handheld devices, computers. All of this has made this search for the average person of how to better themselves financially has made it easier. But it's a, it's a process, right? I, I think, you know, we're 40 years into the 401k, basically, and it's a process. People are learning more and more about it, and it's a great tool for people to save. But why is it a great tool? Because it's easy. It's tied to the employer's, it's an employer-sponsored plan. So it's yes. tied to your paycheck. So we were talking earlier about Credit Christie, mm-hmm. right? About the psychology of money, the psychology of credit. Well, there's a psychology in not really ever seeing this money. And I'm, again, to go back to the analogy and the uh, the gentleman I mentioned earlier, who's 41, 42, emotionally, he didn't. He did invest this money. Yes, that's true. But it didn't hit his checking account. Then he had to proactively decide to invest it. It was a 401k. He just selected 5 or 10%. It, he never saw Set it. Set it and forget exactly. it. Exactly. So to, to tie a bow on this a little bit, common mistakes, right? We talked about not caring. Another common mistake is not setting it and forgetting it, right? I don't know if I said that right. But setting it and forgetting it helps make it easier. And if you can make something easier, you've got a higher likelihood of hitting your goal. So almost in order, you want to be able to set it and forget it, but you also want to care. Don't just set it and forget it and think you're done. Set it and forget it means, and by the way, when, when I say set it and forget it, get with your employer, yeah. sign up for the 401k. We've talked about this with Rob Fairger on the show. We've talked about other episodes. We're talking about it again today. So you know, it's important. Mm-hmm. It's the third time we're talking about it. You know it's important, but go ahead and and schedule yourself to have X amount of dollars or X percentage of your pay going to a 401k. Usually, whatever your employer is going to match, at least put that much in because then you get your employer's free money. So now that's set. It comes out before your money even hits your checking account, but also care. Mm. Also, every year or twice a year, go back and make sure those funds are properly allocated. And if you can't do that, maybe you need to reach out to someone who is an expert in that field. Maybe your financial advisor who would look at it for you, or maybe someone within the plan administration uh, that would do that with you as well. But your 401k would be step one of a total plan that you would put together for your overall financial fitness. I mean, a budget is one, IRAs and 529s or Florida prepaid, or if you're in another another state not called Florida, then whatever your state Mm -hmm. college Florida prepaid plan is, you need six months reserves, you need intermediate funds, you need some real estate holdings. Like there's a whole plan that a financial advisor could sit with you to do. Mm -hmm. But I think it all starts with caring. Just like you said, it starts with caring. Your biggest mistake is, is not caring. Yep. 
I agree. And then the other thing, too, to go back to either the, the nurse example or the gentleman I brought up, um, ha having a plan, right? You and I just casually mentioned payoff debt, just casually mentioned build up six months. You know, it's hard for a lot of people. Yeah, and, and a lot of times in life, doing what's hard is the right thing to do. And doing the, the easy thing is, is sometimes not always. I would go as far as saying almost always. Uh, well. Almost always. And by the way, another book plug, I do this like almost every other episode, yeah. Atomic Habits. Have you read it? Oh, I've, I've read it. It's Atomic good. Habits. Yes. 1%. If you change 1%, if you get 1% better every day, after the end of the year, it's something crazy. Like, like you are 37 times more optimized mm -hmm. than you were prior to when you started your plan of becoming 1% better per day. But no, Atomic Habits, If because it's, it, it's what you just said. It's not about, oh, just do a budget. Just get out of consumer debt. Just have six months reserves. It's like, no, no, no. You need to create habits that will allow you to do so. And if you need a phenomenal book on creating habits, that is A, easy to read, B, easy to understand, and C, pretty entertaining. Atomic Habits. Look it up on Amazon. Go buy it. It'll be the best $25 or $27 you spent all year. Worth it. Worth it. Um, I don't know how I got down that rabbit hole, but I've, I find I'm constantly plugging books um, and Atomic Habits is, is one I'm reading right now. I promise you guys, I do read some dogs of books and I don't mention them, but th this is one that I do feel like more people should read than not read. So in, in preparing my channel, I have like a little space where I do it in and I'm pretty sure that book is in, if it's not on my nightstand, it's actually in the background of every video I've shot. It's a great book. Oh, there you go. There's a little Where's Waldo moment. Yeah. So when you tune into Kay Scholl's <laughs> YouTube channel, look for the book Atomic Habits. I'll give you a little hint. The The jacket is a light color. I would call it white. I'm sure my wife has a more technical um, uh term from the color wheel, but to me, it looks like white or off-white or eggshell, You're but funny. it's a it's a white cover. Look for it. And if you find it, shoot Kyle an email and say, I found it. <laughs> found it. That's all you have to tell him in the subject matter. Found it. He'll know, he'll know what you mean. What else? We're coming up to on, on the probably a half hour mark. Um, we, you and I can sit here and do this day in, day oh, I out. I keep going. Um, this is, this is like, I, I nerd out. I geek out at this stuff. This is how, good. How about this? Um, let's go to th with three things. Okay. Three things that you wish everyone that you cared about and loved mm -hmm. and everyone that you will eventually care about and love if you just had a chance to meet them. Sure. You wish that they dominated when it came to their personal financial world. Well, gosh, I don't want to be, I don't want to be repetitive here. Okay. Because we've already is said it, it. We've already said it. Have we, we really? We, we've already said it. It's a that few. simple. Yeah, yeah. No. Um, but uh, so the first thing that comes to my mind is personal responsibility, right? Um, not because we've mentioned working with a financial advisor a little bit, right? I was an advisor, Mike, great guy. But an advisor doesn't do it for you, right? They talk to you, they, they give you the path to go down but you still have to do the grunt work, right? So taking personal responsibility over your finances, taking personal responsibility over your cash, your credit, your credit score, your, your credit report, uh, your retirement accounts, personal responsibility. Uh, and then two is emotional intelligence. I hope that 
my family, my friends, my loved ones, anyone listening can have some emotional intelligence around knowing when it's the right time to make a purchase or knowing when it's the right time to just sit on the sidelines and save cash or having the emotional intelligence to say, you know what? I'm going to take some risk here and I'm going to do X, Y, and Z with my money. That Whether that's a real estate purchase, whether that's a stock market thing, whether that's increasing your retirement savings, doesn't matter. So personal responsibility, emotional intelligence. And then, you know, because I am a finance guy, I want everybody to build wealth. I want everybody to have a little extra jingle in their pocket. And part of the reasons, I guess, either physically or psychologically why, why I feel like that is because I've experienced being broke and poor and it's not fun and i've experienced doing very well and it's, it's more fun it's more fun <laughs> <laughs> it's more fun so i want everyone to experience that and for some that's easier than others because they not everyone starts at zero some people uh, uh wake up like myself after college and have forty two thousand dollars of debt right i had around twenty thousand dollars of credit card debt and around twenty one thousand dollars no. of student loan debt yeah seriously yeah so when i was telling you earlier about how it was but you worked three jobs starting it, at 12. in high school Okay. Yeah. Okay. In high school. Oh man, that's like a whole episode in itself. <laughs> I love, I love the before story. I oh, love the before picture. Okay. All right. Um, yes, because it, it's human. I'll go down that story if, if you tell me I answered your question. Right? What was it? it? Was personal responsibility. It was emotional intelligence, and it was a desire to to, to grow your wealth. Uh, to me, because again, not caring. Right? I, I want people to have financial health and financial wealth because I feel like it's a better way to go through life. Instead of telling your son or your daughter, no, we can't afford it, you could say it's not in the budget. Or you could say we can do that. Or yes, we can do that. Let's do it in two weeks and let's put it in the budget, right? But just having some ability of having a better quality of life and money's a tool. Money's a tool to have a better quality of life. But I'm happy to go into that if you want to. Yeah. JC, where are we at on time right now? Yeah, yeah. We'll wrap it up. Part two. Part two coming up? Okay. Um, <laughs> How to get out of $42,000 of debt. <laughs> yes. You know what? If you have 20 minutes. Sure. Okay. We're going to wrap this show up. Okay. Okay. Um, we're going to drop this, this episode okay. and then here's a little foreshadowing. We're going to have Kyle on another episode where we're going to talk about the before mm -hmm. picture yeah. because so many times people only see the after picture. But on this note, you're tuning into the Loan Officer Podcast. I'm Dustin Owen. He's Kyle Scholl. And Kyle, they can find you where? Financial Awareness with K. Scholl. It's a YouTube channel about personal finance. How about an uh, email address? Oh. Twitter uh, handle? Uh, gosh, I don't have my Twitter handle memorized. Um but YouTube, uh, everything's on YouTube. YouTube. Yeah, everything's everything's on, YouTube. on YouTube. Yeah. Perfect. Kyle, thank you for yeah. doing this show. My pleasure. And thank you in advance for sticking around because we're going to dive deep into the before picture. Looking forward to it. But ladies, gentlemen, children of all ages, preferably children 18 plus, that's all we have for you now. We're out.